Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Listen. This is God's word. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of Yahweh saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long? Yahweh. And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and Yahweh removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felt. The holy seed is its stump. And now over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4. And he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of the soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no gain, no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that 
they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and who accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And he said to them, it's a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his disciples he explained everything. Put your dirty clothes in the hamper, clean up your toys, do your homework, get ready for bed. If you ask any parent who has ever given any one of those commands to their child, or if you ask most children who have had those commands given to them, you will quickly learn there's a profound difference between hearing and listening. Sometimes the issue is a matter of comprehension. We simply don't understand what is being asked of us. But most of the time we do. And the problem is much, much deeper. As we were making our way through the Gospel of Mark, we have seen Mark highlighting the miracles of Jesus. 
especially his casting out of evil spirits. But Mark has also been interested in showing that widening gap between those who are following Jesus and those who are in opposition to him. It is becoming increasingly clear right from the beginning that the ministry of Jesus is polarizing. Some are drawn to him, some receive him, and from those, Jesus draws to himself 12, the disciples, but others are becoming more openly hostile to him. You'll remember from last week, the big wig theologian religious authority types came from Jerusalem all the way down to Galilee to accuse him of having the power to cast out evil spirits because he was in alliance with Beelzebul, the prince of the very demons he was casting out. And you'll remember even his own family came to capture him because they thought Jesus had lost his mind. They believed the stories about Jesus, that he was under demonic influence. And Mark ends chapter 3 with Jesus saying, Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother or my sister or my mother. And then comes the parable of the sower, or as it's sometimes called, the parable of the soils. It's a parable that is familiar to most of us. We get this in our smallest Sunday school classes. We recognize it shows up in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And our usual approach to hearing this parable is to put ourselves into the parable, to rush to immediate application. And I confess I've done this before myself. When I preached on this parable from the Gospel of Luke 10 years ago, my sermon title was, What Kind of Dirt Are You? And that's a fair question to ask. But I want to do something a little different this morning because Mark does something different than Matthew and Luke. They allude to it, and they certainly intend to, us to catch that, but only Mark has the words of Jesus recorded in verse 13. We're told from the beginning of the chapter, Jesus spoke this parable and many others to a very large crowd. So large, in fact, that he's speaking from the boat that you might remember had been prepared back in chapter 3 so that he could be spared from the crush of the crowd coming at him. But now, sometime later, by the time we get to verse 10, he's surrounded by a much smaller group. And in that group are his 12 disciples. And someone asks him about the parables. And in verse 13, notice this, Mark writes, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? In other words, the parable of the sower, while it invites you to ask what kind of dirt you are, how receptive you are to the gospel, Jesus looks at this parable and more specifically at our comprehension or understanding of the parable, and he sees that as the interpretive key for all the parables. In other words, this parable is paradigmatic, or to put it more simply, this parable is a parable about parables. 
And that is, if you don't get this one, you won't get any of them. And Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 6. And he tells us of parables in general and of this parable in particular, that they are designed both to conceal and to reveal. They're to conceal and to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. And so I want to take those two lines up this morning. And yes, we will look at the parable, but notice, first of all, parables and their concealing function. And you could go back and and look at the entire message of the Old Testament and and sum it up in some ways of saying this is God's work of creating a world over which He will reign a world that pleases him, that is very good, and it is to be populated by image-bearing kingdom people from whom he will receive worship. And so the Old Testament kingdom of Israel, especially at its height under David and Solomon, represent God's people in God's land, ruled by God's man on earth in a kind of microcosm of what God intended to be, from the beginning, global and universal. And it's when this whole project had nearly entirely failed, the Lord raises up Isaiah, and he sends him to his people to prophesy, not just to them, but against them to predict the coming exile, and also, yes, later to to proclaim and to preach and to predict the coming of the Messiah of the Lord. But in chapter 6, when Isaiah is called, he sees this indescribable vision of the Lord in all His glory and in all His holiness. And, and, and in this glimpse of God's glory, he's overcome by his own sinfulness and his inadequacy, his unworthiness to be a messenger of God, and he is made clean by the angel who touches his lips with that burning coal. And he's commissioned to preach, but catch his message. The Lord tells him to go to an audience of his own people who are willfully blind, deaf, and hard-hearted. In fact, they are exactly like the nations around them that they were supposed to be distinguished from. They fulfill the words of Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The creations are the works of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. And so now the nation of Israel, the people of God to whom Isaiah is to come, are like that. They hear but do not perceive. They see, they do not understand. But it gets even worse because Isaiah is charged by Yahweh to go to his people and to preach against them with this shocking goal of increasing, amplifying the dullness of their hearts by adding to, clouding over 
the blindness of their eyes. By stopping up and by intensifying the deafness of their ears. And it gets even worse. Because not only is to, he, he to increase the dullness of their heart or to add to their blindness or to intensify their deafness, it's with this goal or purpose. It's so that they would not turn to the Lord. So that they would not repent. So that they would not be healed or forgiven. In other words, what the Isaiah is to do is to go and proclaim to them so that they would become increasingly hardened. And so the judgment of Yahweh would come. Namely, the exile. Now, it's hard for me or for Pastor Flippy or for Dr. Curry to imagine a job description like this here at Trinity. One of the great joys of our pastoral pulpit preaching ministry is to hear and to see you all respond to the clear proclamation of the gospel by embracing Jesus. By having a deeper faith with fresh expressions of obedience. I couldn't imagine, we couldn't imagine a call like this to come and make people's hard hearts harder. To make their blind eyes blinder or their dull ears deafer. So that they wouldn't turn to God. But there it is. It's a hard word. And a hard message. And after 70 years in exile and a partial return to the land and rebuilt walls, sort of, and a temple not nearly as great as Solomon's had been, Israel never does return to its original glory. And its military and its political powers are never as great as they once were. In fact, when Jesus arrives on the scene, the land is occupied by the Romans, foreigners, Gentiles. And now Jesus explains to his disciples why he speaks in parables. It turns out the people of his day were not all that different from the people in Isaiah's day. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now consider this moment in the gospel. Jesus is saying, if you get this parable, you'll get the others. If you don't get this parable, you won't get any of them. This is Jesus, the Holy One of God, the one Isaiah saw in his pre-incarnate form on the throne and before whom Isaiah trembled. This is now God come down to earth in the flesh, in the person of His Son. And He is not just sowing or preaching the word to whom people will, or to, to that word that people will respond to positively or negatively. He is the word of God. And He's not just concealing or revealing the secrets of the kingdom. He's revealing, and he's hiding himself. 
in the rest of the New Testament, the apostles are going to use this language of the secrets of the kingdom or the mysteries of the kingdom. And every time they do, they will say that mystery, long hidden for all the ages from the prophets who long to look into what you now see, that mystery, that secret is Jesus. This is now revealed to you in the person and in the work of the Son. In other words, what Jesus is doing here, and I want you to really get this, what Jesus is doing here is not just repeating what Isaiah did and said. But he is the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He's the ultimate expression of God's mysterious divine will to reveal himself and to make himself known and to be the occasion for the ultimate end time discrimination between those who will respond to Jesus in faith and those who will reject him in unbelief. Those who will respond with faith and fruitfulness and those who will reject him in unbelief to their destruction. There's simply, I wish there were, but there's simply no way around verse 12. A solemn declaration for those outside of the kingdom. Everything in the parables is designed that they might see but not perceive, that they might hear but not understand. And then again, these chilling words, lest they turn and be forgiven. In other words, let me say it one more way. As amazing as this is to hear and believe, by God's own design and according to God's own appointment, for God's own purposes and ultimately for God's own glory. He sent Jesus who speaks in parables. And you could even say in some sense is the parable. And for some amazing, remarkable reason to God, Jesus comes with the same goal as Isaiah had, as it was given to him by God to conceal the truth from those who are perishing and from those who are rejecting him as king. And so Jesus will go on to describe the three soils in the parable. Soils that are not receptive to the gospel. The first in verses 4 and then in 15, that hard-packed pathway where the people have walked through the field so many times, the seed hits it and bounces around. Seed is easy pickings for the birds. And Jesus identifies the birds as Satan. Satan has an interest in the gospel. He has an interest in seeing the gospel seeds bounce around on hard hearts so he can swoop in and pick them up before they could possibly penetrate into the dirt. Second soil is in verses 5 and 16. It's a deceptively thin layer of soil that's covering mostly rocks. Seed falls into a crack, it sprouts up quickly, and either there's no moisture or it simply can't put down deep enough roots to draw up whatever moisture is there, and it cannot bear the heat of the noonday sun, 
withers and is scorched. And Jesus says, this is like people who receive the word and respond with apparent joy for a short time. Even to the point where they could be fooling others. People see them and say, oh, look at that. They've responded with joy to the gospel. But in time of testing and trial, they fall away. They don't endure. This, by the way, is not us saying we should not have joy when we receive the gospel. The issue is the roots. And then there's the seed that falls among the thorns in verses 7 and 18, 19. It germinates, it takes root, it begins to grow, looks great. But all around it are thorns and thistles that spring up alongside. And the thorns soon overspread, they block the sun, they deprive that grain of its, uh, the energy and the nutrients from the ground, and, and those little stalks of grain end up not producing fruit, which is the measure. And Jesus says that soil is the hearts of those who hear the word, even embrace it, but are ultimately unproductive. Why? Because they're drawn away by the cares of the world, the things the world cares and worries about. Or they're drawn away by the deceitfulness of riches. They'd rather pursue the riches that they think can satisfy. They're drawn away by the desires for other things, the pleasures of life, the pursuits of which become their primary preoccupation. They look good for a while. And again, you could even distinguish them from the thorns. But at the end, there's no fruit. It is to these the parable has a concealing function. But there is happier news, and that is because Jesus speaks in parables to reveal truth, not simply to conceal it. And the first part of the answer Jesus gives to his disciples' question about the parables back in in verse 10 tells us he's actually interested in them knowing who he is. He's interested in them hearing and seeing and understanding what he calls are the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom, which is himself. And so he says, it has been given to you to know the secret of the kingdom of God. You see, it's not just that those who are opposed to Jesus did not or cannot catch the image. That they know nothing about farmers, of course they do. Many of them would have been, they all would have known what it was like to watch someone sow. They all could resonate with the imagery of of seed falling on pathways or on rocky soil or among thorns. But it's that some will not respond in faith, but in rejection. But others will respond. By the end of the story, we are forced to make a decision. Will we follow after Jesus? What kind of dirt are we? Will we respond to his word as it reveals God's will to us in his Son? 
and will we bear fruit? Some of us more than others. In a variety of ways. But we will all produce fruit. The parable of the sower invites us, yes, to ask what kind of dirt we are. But it does more than that. It invites us to ask, what kind of a sower is this? What kind of a word is this? Will we receive that word? Will we receive the sower himself? Will we receive and follow the will of God as it's revealed to us in his son? Who spreads the word? But the parable of the sower would have also been encouraging to the apostles, to the disciples who are hearing it. It makes some sense for us and for them in the moment why Jesus would have both streaming fans and people who were enthusiastic for a moment but then disappeared and real opposition, the same opposition that will bring him and nail him to the cross. After Jesus ascends and pours out his spirit and sends his disciples into the world, they're coming with the same message. Believe in the Son of God who has come to earth, who has suffered and died and been raised again from the dead. And it would have been encouraging to them to know not only did Jesus have opposition, but that he makes sense of it for them by putting it back in the mysterious will of God that some would be hardened in their hardness or would be made increasingly deaf in their deafness or made even more blind in their blindness. They should not be uh, surprised to discover some of their audience will be openly hostile or that hearts are hardened or that Satan will take up what we lay down, or others who will respond in short-lived faith, others be captured by the world. But nor should they be surprised that some will respond with lasting, deep joy and fruitfulness. Others will hear and receive the stories about Jesus and they will receive and hear Him with deep, lasting, productive joy. If you are here in the evenings as Dr. Curry is working his way through the book of Acts, you'll come in a month or so and hear the words of Isaiah 6 again. So I'm just doing some of his work for him now. But here's how the book of Acts ends. The Apostle Paul is captured, brought by ship, finally makes it to Rome. And in the last chapter, among the last words, he has an audience with a Jewish audience that comes to him to hear him. And Luke tells us at the very end, some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement, this statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to these people 
and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and, and turn, and I would heal them. And then Paul adds his little commentary at the end, which is good news for you. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And then he says this. It's remarkable. We could almost miss it. They, Paul says, will listen. There's a difference between hearing and listening. As you hear the word of God, listen. It's Jesus himself. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we confess these are difficult words to hear and to digest, and we are thrown back again to your mysterious will, that inscrutable will by which you would have many come to know you, but many be hardened by their willful disobedience, their willful rejection, and that you would even use that to bring your son to the cross. Our God and our Father, make us not only mindful of your call to us to be productive soil, which we know we are only by your Spirit who tills it, who softens our hearts, makes us productive and receptive. But we pray, our God, that you would allow us to have some sense of comfort in knowing that even as we proclaim in obedience to your call, there will be some for whom it will be revealed on the last day that they have hardened their heart, darkened their eyes, and deafened their ears. Lord, make us ever more bold. We do not know who those people are. Make us bold to proclaim the gospel that they might know you, and that in your mercy you might forgive them. Lord, we ask all this in the precious, powerful name of your Son, the Word of God. And all God's people say together, Amen. Amen.